Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. And I thought, God, how embarrassing that I'm part of an industry that hasn't been inclusive with our entertaining. You know, why should I open a beautiful bottle of champagne and you not be drinking and me feel like I can celebrate and you not be able to celebrate if you're not drinking? I mean, I just think that's kind of offensive conceptually, really. And so... I recognized that there were all of these pillars, you know, towards creating an equal experience and us all being at the table, sharing something really delicious. And why should ethanol be at the heart of that? Hey team, this is such an interesting and different conversation that we've got for you this week. We've got Amanda Thompson with us. Now, Amanda is the CEO and founder of Naughty Drinks, a company that make alcohol-free wine. And many of you in the Facebook group have spoken about alcohol-free wine and how you don't seem to be able to find one that tastes good. Um, And we talk about that. We talk about the science and the reasons for that. And Amanda talks about why she and her team were the best group of people to take on this challenge because of her background in the industry and how they've accomplished that. So that's why we really wanted to get Amanda on the show because of the passion that she has uh, for everybody to be able to to exp- to share in that even if they've made the t- the positive decision to be alcohol free um, or drink less which is really cool but much much deeper than that there was a, another facet to this conversation which was talking about the political and social implications that the alcohol free movement um, has right and the power that it has to change society at large we talked about the impact it's already having and um, yeah that was a really very deeply interesting part of the conversation that um, I mean I knew some some stuff about but but for both me and Ellie we learned a huge amount here and we know that you will too um, so yeah awesome naughty drinks they're all over social media and everywhere we're going to put the links all in the show notes and all that stuff like we always do um but yeah really really exciting to share this and uh yeah can't wait to see you there see you in a sec hello everybody welcome to the present and sub podcast and Ooh. as you can hear my voice is still a little bit dicey but i'm here and i'm going to do my best and today we have a wonderful uh new guest with us we've got amanda thompson here hello amanda Hi, hi. I hope you're feeling better than you sound. <laughs> I certainly am. So Amanda, Amanda is the face behind Thompson Scott, which is a company that um, some of you may have heard of the brand Naughty. And the Naughty brand belongs to Thompson Scott. And Amanda is the founder of that business. And uh, probably going back, oh, certainly at least over a year ago, a client of mine said to me, have you tried this product Naughty? And I'd never heard of it. And so I got straight on there. But this client's a really, um, she's she's always got the best recommendations. So I went and tried this brand. And I I was a big wine drinker and felt that I was very up on, um, you know, the, the best brands and uh, felt like I was a bit of a wine connoisseur. And when I first went alcohol free, anything that I tried hadn't really matched up to my expectation. And so I stayed clear of non-alcoholic wines for for some time so when I tried your brand Amanda I was just dumbfounded shocked because it was the best thing that I that I had tasted and I was just so 
taken with it. It was like, so so now it's you know the thing that I'm recommending to everybody else. So what might be um, a really great place to start is you know we in, within this um, sober movement in this community we we're starting to see more and more of these alternatives coming available, which is fantastic. And we've talked at length on our podcast about um, you know how wonderful it is that we have these options, but it can be a bit tricky because some of them are a little bit hit and miss. So what I would love to delve into with you as a starting point is um, a little bit about you and the origin of your business and particularly how you've managed to come up with a fabulous brand that not only looks fabulous and feels fabulous, but actually tastes bloody fabulous as well. Well, first of all, thank you. That's um, really lovely to hear from you. So really appreciate that, Ellie, and, and your your uh, your friends and clients who enjoyed it and hopefully will continue to do so. Um, yeah, so it was quite a dark landscape, um, the alcohol-free wine world. I think it's fair to say in a very different way than the alcohol-free beer market ha- had been where we've reached, I would say, almost saturation point. Um, and the alcohol-free spirits world where since Seedlip um, came on the market, I think there's been many, many uh, decent ones that actually in blind tastings, um, bearing in mind uh, three quarters of the drinks are mixer in a lot of those situations, yeah. um, you know, y- you can really be fooled if that's what you're searching for, or at least find something really delicious. Um, alcohol-free wine uh, was really a-, a dark landscape. And I think um, there are a number of reasons for that. I think the key one is it's really, really, really hard to make good alcohol-free wine. I think the other reason is um, at the higher echelons, the drinks industry is mostly controlled by older men. Still, it's quite traditional, but I can say that now as somebody who's in it and the wine business too, very specifically as well. And I think perhaps um, perhaps a lot of those older men just felt like that box had been ticked because the beer alcohol-free alternatives were there and the spirits ones and and often although of course many men drink wine it's not a gender thing but certainly the sparkling wine market is predominantly driven um more sizably by the female demographic so i think that's another relevant plot point here um and so i think because most of the bottles on the market um were really cheap um chock full of sugar and chemicals Mm. and not something as a fine wine drinker I would have ever built a relationship with and most fine wine drinkers um, you know wouldn't either and if they sort of had an introduction to one would be so upset tip it down the sink and then that would almost be game over for for that sort of entire category I think we were starting from a very low base of expectation Um, so there's two things there I suppose for me as a founder on the one hand you've got this huge wide open gulf of opportunity to fill when when no one's expecting anything decent on the other flip side you've obviously got a vast education piece to get liquid on lips when people have been so upset Mm. by the awful offerings before so I took the challenge squarely on my small shoulders um And I guess the rest is history, really. I mean, the sober community, both in the UK, stateside and really around the world, were pretty phenomenal about embracing us very, very early, actually. It was almost like they were waiting for Naughty to arrive. So that was that was pretty special for us as a brand. I mean, interestingly, I would say 99.9 consumers 
that we have now do actually drink and use it for balance. But the sober community were the cheerleaders really from the beginning for us. So represent a very special part of our, of our brand lovers. Um, so that, I guess, is the positive history. I think the other relevant plot point to share is I came from a love of fine wine and champagne. And I think prior to that, no one had made an alcohol-free wine when they had a love of the the real liquid in their minds. And of course, I'm very aware that that can be triggering. I was at an event dying with Davina when Davina McCall, uh, the TV personality, fell mm-hmm. in love with Naughty just last week, which was, was really lovely. Um, but there was a lady there I was talking to who said, look, I'm an ex-alcoholic. I'm finding it, finding it triggering to have it in the champagne glass. And I said, gosh, I'm so sorry. She said, well, actually, I like the taste. So it's all, if it's all right with you, I'll switch to the sort of water glass. And then she proceeded to drink it in much larger amounts because, of course, the water glass, <laughs> you can fill up quite a lot yeah. of naughty in there. And so she fell in love with it in a different way. So, so that's that was a really interesting sort of conversation that, that I'm always open to having and learning about. But, yeah, it's so interesting to hear that because, I mean, we've, we've spoken about um... – alcohol free drinks being a life raft for some people they really are like such a wonderful tool to use when we're kind of either falling in love with socializing again alcohol free but you you mentioned amanda the the kind of growing portion of society that are either drinking mindfully or the kind of soberish we hear terms like this and people kind of being a lot more conscious about their drinking so i think across the board whether you're somebody that sort of is alcohol free or is kind of just looking at the bigger picture and thinking, actually, I don't want to drink as much as I did before. Like, it's just such a wonderful thing to offer people. So, you know, what was the, you spoke about the difficulty, difficulties and the challenges. What was the thing that made you go, no, I'm up for this. Like, I, I want to take on this mission. Well, I knew the commercial opportunity was there, um, you know, from a really sort of factual perspective, mm-hmm. but, but I really more importantly recognized that it was, a very awkward concept for me personally, as someone who still does drink, just to really put that on the table, albeit very carefully, um, to say that alcohol had to be at the heart of socialization when technically, obviously it's a drug and technically it's not good for us. And, And when I started to really sort of apply my analysis to that concept, I kind of found myself getting offended. And that's when I really started to dig in to what inclusive entertaining really looked like. And I kind of shocked myself when I saw that global opportunity. And I thought, God, how embarrassing that I'm part of an industry that hasn't been inclusive with our entertaining. You know, why should I open a beautiful bottle of champagne and you not be drinking and me feel like I can celebrate and you not be able to celebrate if you're not drinking? I mean, I just think that's kind of offensive conceptually, really. And so I recognized that there were all of these pillars, you know, towards creating an equal experience and us all being at the table, sharing something really delicious. And why should ethanol be at the heart of that it's kind of crazy right I mean if you think of it like that and so that really became the driver once I knew that the commercial opportunity was there it was like I could really I said this to to some friends the other day you know I don't want to get too kind of I know Brits you know Americans are better at this but you know I don't want to get too kind of heavy about it but there was an opportunity actually to change the world and Mm -hmm. to make it a literal better place because nobody had done that with wine 
And we can't pretend alcohol's healthy, no matter how much some of us may still enjoy to drink it. And so I thought this opportunity is huge and I'm up for the challenge. Um, so I became obsessed with the challenge before I knew the difficulties really of creating something delicious because I was never going to launch anything that wasn't really delicious. I became very well known. I studied wine in Paris and I became very well known for my palate. I'm terrible at all the facts and figures and like I could never be a sommelier because I can't remember all the all the appellations and the vintages. So in the wine world, I, I'm all about palate and taste essentially, you know, mm. and so it really became this sort of combination of knowing the opportunity was there, knowing I could make the world a better place, but the taste had to be as delicious as I could make it. And, and then that became really the, the huge mountain to climb. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love how you describe it as an equal opportunity because this mm. is so often what we find. Um, Sam and I coach a lot of groups and people that are early in sobriety will often be very anxious about so socializing in particular and things like weddings. Well, well what am I going to do when the toast comes along? Yeah. And yeah. as you say, what, why should the the thing that's differentiating be ethanol ultimately? So it's a it's a real service that you're providing, and 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 it is going to change the world. It's it, it really is. I I, it, I as I say, I was astounded when I tasted it, yeah. um, just how good it is. And so I'm I'm kind of. I like a bit of the science and I'm kind of interested in so how how did you you mentioned it's a mountain to climb how did you get there like what goes into it because clearly it's um you know that's what's setting you apart from all of the other products that, that are currently out there yeah I mean quality I think the first thing I did was tried everything out there and without being rude ever about any other brands, um, I didn't feel like anything really was even close to what I was wanting, particularly. Um, I think the driver and the issue was primarily the same as it is with cheap wine or processed foods. Well, when I say cheap wine, I mean cheap alcoholic wine and processed food. Basically, you're to, to drive a price down, you're, you're adding a lot of sugar, cheap, nasty sugar, not even sort of organic or cane sugar and, and chemicals. Exactly mm. the same with the cheap mm. alcoholic drinks and processed food. That is how you drive price down. And that was being really played out in a very clear way when alcohol free wines were playing in that sort of three, four, even five pound space, unfortunately, in the UK um, because of just how expensive the means of production are, particularly now in 2022 in the economic climate. Um, and so the first thing was trying everything that was out there and not really feeling very positive. Um, that said, I did find um, one or two makers who I recognized were making something along the quality lines. It was just not quite as balanced and dry as I wanted. So stage two was to really meet the makers, taste with them, exactly like I had done originally when I launched an alcoholic champagne. It was the very same process. Um, and to really hone down um, with a couple of the makers, whether they could make it to my specification, my quality levels. Um, it, it, I was quite demanding. We, we were getting our B Corps certification, which for those who aren't familiar, 
it really is all about putting sustainability and ethics at the heart of your business and not greenwashing and equally not saying you're perfect, but always striving to do the right thing. So that was obviously another pillar of the business, which created challenges to, for making sure we found the right partner. So that really was the second stage um, of creating Naughty. And of course, understanding all of the science behind it, because there have been different ways to, to make alcohol-free wine. Um, and I wanted to make sure we picked the one that really had the best results um, when, when you tasted. So that I've simplified really as, as you know, the, the big picture prior to, to, to creating it. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, uh, I wrote a blog post way back looking at, and I went on a bit of an, and explore myself at the differences between, you know, being able to heat things up and and release the the uh, alcohol versus brewing something differently versus reverse osmosis. And I was like, well, there's a whole world in here. This is wild. I had no idea how interesting it is. Interestingly, my dad uh, and my mum worked for Courage Brewery years ago. They were involved in beer science, so he he was talking me through a lot of the stuff that was going on. So, yeah, it is. Um, it's really lovely to be able to offer as you say, an experience to people that doesn't intoxicate, that shifts the focus back from drinking as the activity to socializing. And if there happens to be someone holding a glass of naughty, they're awesome. If they're holding a glass of, you know, whatever, fine. Like we're all here to make our own choices. So yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's magic and good on you for taking on the the challenge because I think most people don't really realize the level of complexity involved in the science and that it's often extra processes rather than fewer in order to exactly end up exactly Sam because you're making the wine then you're effectively deconstructing it but trying to retain the vinous qualities and I think you touched on beer and I think a lot of beer makers have uh, for, for over the past sort of decade become quite good at that but mm. wine I don't think people had really cracked the science properly yeah Awesome. I love that. That's so cool. I geek out on this stuff. So thanks for sharing that. So what's your, you know, what's going on bigger picture? Me and Ellie were talking about how interested we are at the kind of big alcohol and the, and because we hear these terms being thrown around and there's obviously a real force for good here. There's a lot of change going on, but then obviously there's also a, a lot of opportunity here for, for making money. And I think that's great. Like ultimately the system is going to change from the inside and you know, all of the conversations we have here, they're not about demonizing anything. It's not about black and white. It's about genuine conversations. So what are the exciting things or the things that you see seeing see in the industry as a whole um, that are coming about or, or that we can all look forward to? Sure. Well, I think um, the alcohol-free category is hotter than it's ever been at the moment. I mean, a bit like, obviously, current economic climate withstanding because we all know that financially um, the world's not in the best place at the moment. Um, obviously in America, the dollar's quite strong and we're still doing quite well and number one market for us at the moment is America. Mm -hmm. So that at least mitigates some of the risk. Um, but looking at the way investors have been piling in to the category and it was CBD some time ago, then CBD got a little bit tricky in various mm -hmm. territories. And now I think alcohol free is, is you know, where it's at um, for, for investors at least. And of course, um, the big sort of alcoholic uh, companies are hugely inquisitive and they recognize they've got to change and they recognize they need to put health uh, at the forefront now and uh, sustainability and, and, and the sort of things that they perhaps haven't thought about very much um, apart from sort of across recent years. And because consumers are starting to vote with their feet, um, I think the media spotlighting alcohol-free 
is a much bigger trend than the literal pull through for on or what we call on trade in the UK. So hospitality, because, of course, you know, the media is very zeitgeisty and they'll always look at the future facing things. And that's brilliant because Naughty is in the media constantly, whether it's the New York Times or the UK Times or Vogue. It's brilliant for us. Um, mm. All PR, you know, nothing spent on marketing there. And so eventually hospitality sort of wakes up. But I think that because hospitality's had all, all their problems, whether that be in London, New York, wherever, Sydney, with the pandemic, with global supply chain, with the macroeconomic climate, I mean, with the war, we've got all the toxic yeah. mess, haven't we, surrounding us. I think it's difficult for them to be pushing new trends out there as fast as they'd like for consumers when they're having to conserve cash and worried about their staffing levels. So I think that you've got this sort of interesting um, dichotomy where everyone is talking about hot alcohol-free brands like Naughty, you know, but it takes a little more time to get them onto menu lists and to get them properly understood by the industry who, who has still got, you know, a lot of their problems to be dealing with before they're bringing on new brands. Um, that said, we've been, well, I was about to say lucky, but I think in, you make your own luck. I work sure. damn hard. Um, we, we've been, <laughs> we've worked hard enough and got lucky enough, therefore, um, to find ourselves in a pretty pivotal sort of central position. And I like to say that that's a combination of hard work with my brilliant team, um, but most importantly, the fact that we've got an incredible liquid. I mean, without an incredible liquid, I don't think this would be happening. So we're, we're listed in a lot of sort of London and the UK's hottest bars, spas and hotels, same for New York, California, Sydney. So that's all starting to happen. But the real volume opportunity at the moment um, for alcohol-free brands, uh, interestingly, lies in retail, which, of course, for anybody who understands conventional drinks brands and alcoholic brands, they're usually built in what they call the off-trade, so in hospitality. So you've almost got an upturning of that situation, which I suppose the pandemic also sort of um, lit the touch paper on, as in the home drinking sort of scenario. So it, it's a really exciting landscape, big picture. I mean, we've been a number one seller in Waitrose for, for a long time, and they're now biting off our hand brilliantly to take um, the rest of our bottles. So they're taking our sparkling rosé, they're taking our red, which we've only just launched, so that's awesome. pretty incredible. And then we've got a still white and rosy coming out early 23 so we'll have a whole portfolio yeah you heard it here yeah so we're going to have the two alternatives to champagne naughty brute and naughty rosy sparkling then the three still wines naughty rouge then naughty blanc and naughty rosy so then we've got a whole portfolio so for anybody who's drinking alcoholic good wine there's always an inclusive experience for those of us who are choosing not to drink and i think we're really the first global brand to do that at a premium level so it's hugely exciting it's, it's oh goodness me i'm i for one am very excited about what's coming up goodness me and i'm i'm kind of interested in um because these bigger players that have been around for a long time must be looking to you guys um and you know wanting to uh you know, take a little bit of the the shine. Um, you know, have a bit of that rub off on them. Do you, what what involvement do you have in um, in terms of the the influence of the industry as a whole? Are you having conversations yeah. with some absolutely. of the absolutely? 
so it's a hugely acquisitive, sorry, not so much inquisitive, actually, acquisitive with an A market. So the big players um, usually don't develop very successfully their own sort of whether it be craft beers or, or, or indie cool brands, they usually try and acquire them. That's the sort of historical, typical model in the alcoholic drinks world and is starting to be not dissimilar in the alcoholic world. So some of the big players like Diageo and ABI have got their own what they call accelerators where they might give founders you know, X amount of money early stage, and then they will perhaps get first dibs on acquiring the, the rest of, you know, the rest of the brand, big mm. picture. There are slightly different models that they set up. Um, we've remained re- uh, resolutely independent, um, which is rather lovely from um, a control perspective, yeah. <laughs> notwithstanding, because I've got a brilliant uh, sort of leadership team I work with, and, and, and we're very happy to, at this stage, remain independent. Um, I am lucky to be consulted by DEFRA, so the government, on the way that the industry should be shaped. And I was the first Brit to be invited on the American uh, board called Amber, which was created to really shape the alcohol-free business um, from really within, starting with key alcohol-free founders on the board and then allowing the bigger sort of drinks brands and partners to be members, but not necessarily have key board seats. So we're just sort of shaping that in the US. And then I'm the vice chair of the new sort of chapter we're building out with alcohol-free founders in the UK and EU. So I've put myself really at the heart of that industry um, you know, from a legislative perspective, which has been important to me, because even when I had a champagne, I was a thought leader in campaigning for transparency of ingredients in the wine business. Because in 2022, um, there's no literal ingredients list on wine, which I think is quite shocking, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be alcohol-free wine, you know, conventional wine, I think we should all know exactly what's in the bottle. Um, and so that's another angle. Um, the other thing I constantly bang, bang a drum about um, noisily is low no, which I think will be hugely relevant to your community. Um, I think that because it's a wonderful PR catch-all, it's become, you know, no low, low no. It's I understand, you know, I'm a journalist, married to a publicist. I understand it's a sexy term because it rhymes. It's actually a complete misnomer to link low and know together mm-hmm. for many reasons, not least because low will mean one thing to you, Sam, one thing to Ellie and another thing to me. And, sure. and it doesn't really have a definitive meaning. And I think it's come out from big alcohol and their obsession with ABV and beer and in spirits, whereas also in the wine world, we don't analyse ABV in the same way. And so when I've been consulted on this, I say very sort of clearly, and I, and I keep repeating it, I say it's very dangerous to try and create a homogenous description of non-alcoholic and anything low in this sort of nebulous descriptive term. And of course, the sober community would be like, yeah, of course. I mean, that's a no brainer. I mean, you know, for those who are still comfortable to drink drinks like mine and alcohol free beers, you know, it's so important that we're clear. It's important for pregnancy. Mm. It's important for driving. It's, I mean, it's important for so many reasons that I think we are starting to play in a dangerous game if we keep using that term too loosely. Yeah, it's really interesting. I saw there were discussions happening around, because um, people might not know the difference between low alcohol, alcohol-free, and all these things we're discussing here, but potentially increasing the amount of alcohol that you can have in a drink and then still being able to call it sort of no alcohol and that's sort of what we're talking about here so 
I guess for it's really it's such an independent, such a personal thing for people because for me, like I just I don't want to be intoxicated, but I have no I get that there's you know alcohol is a fact of fermentation. It's in food, you know. We mm. talk about this. It's not. It's so t- to me, it's an intoxication thing. So if I know that that's not going to happen, and it's there's an amount in there that makes it taste more, you know, like a better beer or whatever, then I, I see that side. But there are people for whom having it be zero point zero zero is just beyond important and i respect that so that's really interesting sam and and with as with our alcohol with naughty alcohol the sparklings the brute and the rosé we're zero we've even got a halal certification which is Mm -hmm. where you can't have trace the industry standard that we're all campaigning for in the us and uk is 0.5 percent and and just to make sure that consumers understand that because it's so confusing you've just touched on the fermentation thing 0.5 percent is trace like in a vinegar a ripe banana all manner of other foods and i think people shouldn't be afraid about the 0.5 percent more than that you're you're getting perhaps into a different zone that you may Mm. want to decide to analyze but the 0.5 percent is generally considered the, the appropriate cutoff um, for anything to be considered non-alcoholic. Well, I'm sure I can speak. Well, I'm sure I can speak for many of our listeners in saying we're very grateful to have someone like you, Amanda, who gets it in the position you're in. Because I don't think many people will have considered the the impact, particularly in America, for example, of the alcohol-free kind of sector growing, big alcohol listening, the impact that has on lobbying, the impacting the impact that has on the political system and the the actual kind of reverse effect we can have on changing society through this. I, I genuinely I I hadn't considered it to the point until you explained it just now. And I don't think many of our listeners will have. So yeah, that's that's really cool. And I'm really grateful that you're doing what you're doing. I think it's really important, Sam. Thank you. Um yeah, I mean that's been really at the heart of my my business from the start. I mean, we're a really sexy, fun brand, but behind the scenes, I'm obsessed with making sure that we, you know, are really clear, as clear as we can be to consumers. I think it's our job. And truthfully, the drinks industry, my industry has not really done anything like enough on that. So I think it's our responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I'll see you with this list superhero cape on you're you're very kind i'm not sure that's that's appropriate but maybe one day maybe one day it's wonderful it's really wonderful um i'd love to learn a little bit more about you the the personality um you mentioned a few things about yourself already that you were a journalist and um you had a champagne before can we can we know a little bit more about amanda and um sure uh, um yeah I grew up um, in Hertfordshire and my parents split when I was young. My father was an immigrant and I think I learned very early that I had to stand on my own two feet and also needed to be able to look after myself. And I'd, I suppose in the in my young days, the joke always used to be champagne taste on beer money. Um, I don't know if you remember that joke and that's an alcoholic joke, obviously not a sober one. Um, we could apply it to the same, yeah, without alcohol. Um, but um, I'd always really appreciated the good things in life and and, and wanted really to, to, to sort of have an impact on the world. I remember from quite a young age and journalism allowed me to do that initially. Um, and I'd been brought up on a very healthy diet. So despite the fact my mother didn't have a lot of money and was working three jobs, she was very focused on healthy living in, in the 70s when it was actually quite radical to eat muesli for breakfast. Yeah. It wasn't fashionable. It was a bit <laughs> odd. And, um, and so my relationship with champagne came about because I ended up as an arts, I was in the arts space. I wasn't the best hard news journalist because I got a big smile, big eyes. 
hands. I was quite, so hard news was really not my thing. I ended up in the art space, which was where all the fun stuff happened in Cannes and the film festival, you know, in the, in the, in the modern art world. And this was before social media. So the days when you could have fun when no one was looking. Um, and then I started to, to develop a relationship with Champagne um, when I wasn't paying. I was, you know, this was the day, these were the days when you'd really stay up all night and go on telly the next morning. So you were working incredibly hard, but you still really were drinking too much and you were still working. Obviously, mm. none of this is recommended today. Not, you know, young people would be sure. very shocked as they should be. Um, but uh, that was where my love of champagne came about. And then I started to really analyze how much sugar was going into champagne, then how many chemicals. And that sort of led me originally to focus on creating my own champagne brand. But I was also very conscious that the alcohol component was not healthy. And then that was the transition or the pivot, as they call it, don't they, in the scale-up world, the pivot um, to alcohol-free. So that's, I guess, my potted history. Awesome. Yeah, it's so so interesting. I think there's a lot of... um... I just love that your story... I love that you've had the insights you've had because of, you know couldn't have been any other way but the life that you've had and there's a lot of kind of drawing lines in this world I feel there's a lot of like here's my trench here's my trench and uh (laughs) we're not going to listen but it it kind of feels like you've been brave enough and courageous enough to wander into the middle of this and go well no like this is a this is a nuanced thing we need to have conversations in the gray area and we need to find truth and we need to Mm. do this together and we've really tried to do that on this podcast it's it's hard. People have very, very strong opinions. So I think, (laughs) I think that, you know, you've used all that personal learning and turned it into something professional and powerful, which I I think that's very cool. And I think people are going to... I guess, um, going back to that point, uh, I was just hearing about Michelle Hussein, the Radio 4 presenter, um, creating a new debate, sort of backing new debates um, societies in universities and schools about that grey area you mentioned. And I think, you know, whether it's, there's so many topics, aren't there, we could mention now that we shan't, which really it's black or white and the nuance in the grey is lost and, and we all stick in our tribes. And of course, I think that's where danger occurs because if we're not going to enter into that open conversation then how are we ever going to change anyone's views and I suppose being a journalist innately you're all about entering into the conversation asking the questions and listening to the answers and I think a lot of us have really forgotten that art in the world quite worryingly or even scarily you know this is my opinion I think this says Elliot well I don't care this is my opinion and of course it's dangerous on every level but and it's dangerous in business and I think that um early days when the pandemic hit I remember there's an incredible um guy who opened a very early stage I think it was even the first samba um Chris Marshall the first ever sober bar in Texas I think it was actually the first um first sober bar in the whole of the U.S. And I was reaching out to thought leaders like him because I really wanted to understand America's relationship with sobriety, which, of course, is so much more nuanced and multi-layered than than Mm. ours Mm -hmm. because of their relationship with prohibition. Mm. So I really was diving into the different cultures, the different relationships, and I was just really keen, as I still am, just to learn as much as I could 
about all of this and going back to that conversation last week when the woman's like, I can't drink naughty. And I was like, oh, God, do you hate it? She's like, no, I just can't have it in a champagne glass. Give me half a pint of it. You know, so so I think, you know, it's just all about having those conversations, learning when people have strong opinions, finding out where they come from and seeing if we can unpack them and find somewhere in the middle where we might agree. And that's where the magic happens. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so what's next? You mentioned um, some new products coming out and you've converted Davina very recently, which I'm thrilled, <laughs> thrilled yeah. to hear. What, what else is, is new and coming up? So I've got those two new wines I mentioned, uh, and that was part of this plan to have an alternative for every fine wine drinker uh, who's who's not drinking. Um, and really to to become the world's number one leading premium alcohol-free wine, which I suppose if I'd said that in 2019, I would have been laughed off the stage. Um, so it's interesting. It's funny how things change, actually. And I think for all the sober community out there, although you must sort of really sometimes laugh to yourself and say, oh, God, you know, they're finally they're sort of dancing around in the middle. We've been doing this for ages. I really think it's a great thing for the sober community because it's just meaning that we're breaking down all of those boring issues I and mean, i just think it's ridiculous that the most interesting thing about any of us at a party should be whether we're drinking or not i mean that's just insane <laughs> i would hope we're all so much more complex than that and what i've also learned about sobriety is some people want to talk about it some people don't sure. and, and why should we be forcing anyone to have that conversation why shouldn't we talk about all manner of other things that are going on in the world unless you want to share your story mm. and i think that beautiful moment and corporate entertaining companies like ey and Bain & Co. and a lot of the finance companies are finally recognising that for that equal opportunity, whether that be young people coming into the corporate world who want mm. to emoliate their socialisation, mm. you know, with the older men, for example, naughty at the table means you don't have to shout about the fact that you're not drinking. Maybe you're secretly pregnant. Maybe you're an ex-alcoholic. No one's business, right? Mm. I love it. I think the opportunity is here to have, you know, wonderful places to socialize safer places to socialize places where you can go at night and have deep meaningful conversations and not not have to be in a in a bar you know there was a time not that long ago where you had to be in a smoke-filled bar like that seems like a distant weird memory now like things change quickly like we 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 kind of don't have the zoomed out perspective but um yeah i'm sure that all of these this mission is going to continue to turn into something awesome so amanda tell us I have no doubt that a lot of our listeners are going to want to either explore Naughty, buy more of it, check out these new things that are coming out. So where do people find you? Where do they follow the story and the mission as well? Because this isn't just about the products, right? This is about what's no, going on. it's community building. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. So we're at um, Naughty, so NaughtyAF.com. We had a lot of fun with that in America because we didn't mean it to sound <laughs> the, the, the naughty way. Um, so, yeah, I won't go into that. But the Americans were like, oh, my God. I said, oh, God, is that offensive? Oh, no, what? Alcohol-free? <laughs> anyway, we meant alcohol-free. So naughtyaf.com, and it's naughty with an O as in naught percent, which, again, um, the Americans call it zero. So it's kind of a play on words, naughty.com. And then on Instagram, naughtyaf, TikTok, Naughty AF. So we're all over Facebook, you know, what Meta it's called now, isn't it? Um, so you you name it, um, we're there. And, and we're very um, 
inclusive and open and contactable as a brand. So the t- we've got a very tight, brilliant team, but we're all, there's no sort of complicated layers of expensive people in the middle. You can talk to any of us direct, which I've really kept at the heart of our sort of community building. Yeah, Thank and you, you can so feel much. it. Yeah, you can. You can. Oh, I'm delighted to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, well, as as Ali was, just, you know, thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. And I think there you really have opened up people's perspectives to that this isn't just about being able to go and buy a drink that doesn't have ethanol in it. This is it's a real issue. It it's a wonderful opportunity that's tackling something that's been a real issue for a lot of people for a long time. And uh, yeah, we're we're really privileged. To, to have you on here and share all that and oh uh, you've been so kind thank you and, and it's been interesting to having different conversation actually because often i have the same questions and that's still interesting but it's been interesting to have a different kind of conversation i've really appreciated it oh, it's awesome. been an absolute joy thank you so much for all of your time amanda and i'm very excited to get my chops around what's coming out very <laughs> soon ah oh, wishing you <laughs> wishing you your voice back thanks so much for having having me i really appreciate it What a cool conversation and what an interesting thing to think about that the way that we engage with, if if it is our choice to engage with alcohol-free drinks and we understand that it's not everybody's choice, but if, if it is, then there's actually, there's more to this than just having something that tastes good that you can use for a social event, that there's actually much deeper implications of our choices and potentially the ability to continue to change society and add even more magic to this movement so what a cool thing to think about we'd love to hear your comments and uh, your thoughts so please come and let us know in the facebook group what you thought and uh yeah we can pass any messages on from there to amanda as well have an awesome day and uh see you soon